episode 304 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast in the world with a minor villain mode. Welcome. You're going to love this episode. This is going to be uh, an interview that I think you're going to remember for a really long time. Uh, and the reason why I'm getting you guys some really incredible interviews is I got some advice months ago from another pinball podcaster, and he said to me, the only way you win Twippy Awards is if you do good shows leading up to the Twippy show itself. And I think we're pulling out some pretty big guns. Now, if you haven't, if you haven't voted for Canada's Pinball Podcast, please do go to This Week in Pinball and fill out all your favorite games, designers, artwork, and layouts, and make sure you write in Canada. Now, let me spell that for you. K-A-N-E-D-A as your favorite pinball podcast. But you don't want to hear me speak. I'm not even going to talk about pinball news because you know what? This podcast, this podcast is going to make the pinball news, all right? Without further ado, I give you unfiltered, unedited, in living color, Ben Heck. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast, the ever entertaining, the super smart, Super great engineer, a friend of the show, longtime guest, Ben Heck. Ben, welcome back to the show. Hi. I, I don't know if I'm that great of an engineer. I'm just adequate. All right. Well, you know, I mean, I knew I knew you way before I even followed pinball, uh, uh, you know, your days modding like gaming consoles into, into like toaster ovens and other awesome shit. Yeah. It feels like I've been around forever. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a well-known figure now in the pinball world and you know, I'm glad you joined the show because I reached out to you after seeing a bunch of back and forth on Pinside, and I really just wanted you to get a chance to tell your side of the story. And for those of you out there who listen to the show, I mean, just a little bit of history. Ben worked at Spooky Pinball. Ben developed uh, America's Most Haunted, right, Ben? Uh, yes, the finest ghost hunting related pinball machine ever made, not not designed by a felon. Right, right. That that is fun. Yeah, we, John Trudeau just pleaded guilty uh, to his charges, so we oh, can. What a we, mess. We are here to confirm that Ben is not convicted of any heinous crimes against humanity. At least not at the moment. Right, right. And then you also worked on Rob Zombie. You worked a little bit on Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Uh, somewhere in the middle of all of the the titles coming out from Spooky, you I worked also- on I worked on Alice Cooper a lot more than I worked on Rob Zombie, actually. Okay. Well, I, I think what's curious, Ben, you know, for, a lot of people are curious about is, you know, we know you were working on your pen and, and long story short, do you want to just explain like kind of what happened with how you feel uh, and how your game got sort of put on the back burner and like just walk us through that background. Then I want to get to sort of like what some of the more present stuff that, that people are saying. Right. I mean, I won't go into all the gory details because, you know, just out of professionalism. Uh, well, yeah. So, um, it was 2016 and, oh, and you know, I saw Charlie posted on Pinside and yeah, he's right. I am like a whiner and I complain a lot and I am very moody and I have mood swings. However, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm a quitter. I think I'm pretty good at finishing things. I mean, he was saying uh, anyway, you were quitting every other week. Is that true? <laughs> so after I finished America's Most Haunted, I was really burned out. It was so much work and I was doing that on top of my day job, Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was doing that nights and weekends. And uh, yeah, I had this really funny comment once. I was at a convention and someone was like, hey, you're not married, are you? And I'm like, gee, how'd you guess? And they're like, well, that's only the only way you could get this much stuff done. 
So I'm like, right. yes, that was one of the most astute you know observations I ever I ever saw. Uh, but so by the time I was done with it, or like you know where I had the code in a good place, which I would say was <laughs> about a year after it went on sale, and that's when it actually started selling really well as well, like winter of 2014. Right. I was I was just so burnt out. Like 2014 was a really rough year for me. Like getting that code done and then having the game not sell very well, but then still improving the code. And I did a big, huge update in October of 2014, I think it was. And that's what actually uh, pushed right. it. And, 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 and Ben, just, just to sort of stop when you start to think, when we start to address things like in chronological order, what was it like when, you know, you, you slaved away at the game, you, you were working, you know, late nights, you're doing every aspect of America's Most Haunted and sales Almost were sluggish, and, and it's something that I read was that that deflated you. Did, did it when you saw that like sales weren't like speeding up, and it, it it required them to sort of limit the number? Like, what was that like when you were you down and out on the pinball community who who well, always wanted an original theme, and you gave it them one? And I think that when the pinball community asks for original theme, they're full of shit. They don't actually want that. They want licensed themes that they know, which is fine. Uh, actually, it was your best friend Hilton who suggested, hey, if you set a cap to the number of units made, you'll sell out very quickly. Right. So that's when I think it was like at the uh, pinball convention 2014. We're like, OK, 150 units, which, again, in hindsight, that was way too low. Uh, whatever. We're like 150 units. We, we, we set that cap and then I did a big code update. Like October 2014 was a really rough month. I was working full time and I moved my shop <laughs> and I did this huge update. That was that was probably the hardest month of work in my life. Uh, but then by the time I got to TPF 2015, it really started selling. And yeah, it was funny. It took us like a year to sell like 70 units and then the back half of it was gone in like a couple months. And actually the week that, what was that? Remember when uh, the Big Lebowski had like Phil Gate Remember, like, late 2014? Yep. He announced that he was leaving. He woke... I think he refunded people's money at, like, midnight. <laughs> and he basically yeah. said that these guys are full of shit. And he, how wrong he was. You know, it's, that game sold, what, five, 6,000 units today? A, mil a million copies. I just want to <laughs> say a lot of that money went right into our pockets. Right. So that actually worked out really well for us. We we actually sold a lot of units that week. And that, I think that's where it actually started to pick up. Um, yeah. So yes, I was definitely kind of, you know, depressed about it. Well, you're not, not really depressed, but it's like, Oh God, I, I you know, I think about stuff, you know, like, you know, as you mentioned, like video gaming or where I've, you know, known in the past, it's like, it's kind of like when you're out of school and your parents pull you out of the school and you go to a new school and you have to like make friends all over again, which has happened to me as well. It, it kind of felt like that where it's like, okay, now I have to prove myself in the pinball world. Right. And, and at, I think eventually we did. Was it at that point? So I just, just want to, you know, get your side of the story, Ben, is were you offered half of the company at that point to join and sort of be Charlie's 50-50 partner? You know, honestly, I don't remember. It sounds like something he would say. I mean, his big thing was like, move to Benton, right? That's, mm -hmm. oh my God. He says that like every other line. It's like, there's a snake in my boots kind of thing. <laughs> And where, but, where do you live right now? I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. And how far is Benton from Madison? It's about an hour and a half, and it's pretty much freeway the entire time. So it's, you know, I would typically go down there like every other month, you know, before I just like rage quit. Okay. 
<laughs> so you you didn't you didn't take him up on the offer. You didn't want to move there, and were and well. Some... I was making I was making really good money at the Ben Heck show because that was a corporate sponsored gig. Right. So why would I give that up? Right. And so, well, what was the offer? I mean, was the offer if you'd have to give that up completely, right, to focus full time on pinball? And at that point, there wasn't a financial upside that you could see. Right, because that's when we were still struggling. And again, I, I this is this was like what five years ago, which might as well be a million years ago, as far as my mind is concerned. Uh, so I, I really can't speak to that. I know he definitely wanted me to, you know, move down there and and you know do pinball full time, but. But I couldn't because, again, you know, I, you know, Charlie left, you know, he worked at a, a print shop or something. He left a job that, let's just say he left a job that paid incredibly less than I was making at the time. So it, it was a lot, it was a lot, it would be a lot harder for me to make that jump. Although later on, I was willing to make it, which is where my second game kind of comes into play. Okay. So yeah, because I want to sort of, I think it's important to tell the story in, in, in order of how things transpired because uh, obviously things started out rough. Sales weren't great with American Most Haunted. They they picked up when they made it a limited edition game. Then we get on to Rob Zombie, which what was your involvement in Rob Zombie? Well, I believe he started talking to Mr. Zombie around I think it was like January 2015. So it was right around the time that America's Most Haunted was picking up. Right. So once that got some steam, I think that opened up the door to being able to, you know, buy other licenses. And then I think that that thing was like, uh, I think he had it pretty much, he pretty much had it like in March of that year. And then I think he, yeah, he'd, he'd had that Pinball Zombies from Beyond the Grave game. And then he turned that into Rob Zombie. I mean, he made some changes along the way. Okay. And then really that game as Rob Zombie kind of went into production or I'm sorry, went into like design production, I would say like 2015, I want to say like around June of that year. And then as far as my involvement with that, uh, I redid the libraries for the uh, the code because America's Most Haunted Code, the people like the rules, but the underlying code is like a horrible mess. Right. It's right. like the remote starter on my car that somebody installed before I bought it because I bought a used car that probably make your skin crawl. I look and look at this bundle of wires and it's disgusting. It's like I don't even want to think that's under my under my column or whatever. Right. Right. It's, it's like picturing my own intestines. Like I don't even want to I don't want to accept the fact that's in my body. Gross. But so at that time, Charlie wanted me to program Rob Zombie. And I'm like, I can't. I am too burned out. I just spent, you know almost three years working out America's Most Haunted at that point, because I started that in early 2012, even before there was a spooky pinball. I just was doing it as my own game, you know, like everybody right. else. Like well, what, for Christmas and, and, and Ben, just, you know, obviously we're talking about you sort of figuring out what makes sense for you from a career standpoint, from a financial standpoint. Yeah. In terms of your involvement with America's Most Haunted, is was the contract like you would make a certain amount every game sold or was it a salary to work on the game like what what was like the setup that was I was in place? I, I got a royalty for every game okay so when they said 150 you're kind of like well shit <laughs> now now I'm capped I didn't make a dime off of spooky pinball until games went out the door which is a really good way to ensure that games go out the door <laughs> Dutch pinball <laughs> right. where insert company here 
Right. You work a lot harder for money that's not in the bank, <laughs> which I think will benefit, uh, you know, Deep Root, for instance. But yes, not right. having investors or I'm sorry, not having pre-orders. But they must be paying their employees at Deep Root and not not have everyone working pro bono until sales occur, right? I mean, from, how, they have from, a huge from, team. From what I've heard, they pay very competitively. Which is good. Yes. But also scary because you got to make up that money somehow, right? I guess that's his investors' uh, concern. Right. Uh, oh, and when he, going, going back to the, uh, the royalty thing. So, yeah, basically we had America's Most Haunted and Char- Charlie and I split the profit on every game. And I'm sure... I, I guarantee I made I put more in my pocket because of it because he put everything right back into the business and I just put it in the stock market. A, a good time to be in the market. Um, okay, so yep, then I cashed out last summer. Well, how did how does it how did it work? You working there? So when you're working on a game, are you driving an hour and a half to go into Spooky Pinball? Is there work you can do from well, your no, own remember, location? I still had my day job, so I would I would at that time I would work on. I would work on my game like in the evenings. I would like I would get done with whatever we're doing at the at the shop, and then I would program America's Most Haunted until like seven o'clock, or I would do it on the weekends, or I would drive down to Spooky Pinball on the weekends. Right. Okay. I've spent many, many, many nights in uh, Charlie's uh, downstairs uh, living room on his lumpy couch. I think that he called it the Nordman suite because when Dennis Nordman would visit, he'd stay in that same room too. I sure hope that couch is gone. I I'd always told or, Charlie or I'd love fumigate one. it. Hopefully, <laughs> John Trudeau never stayed there. Oh, um, gross! Oh no! I hope that I hope Chris, that couch burns. Edit that out. All right. Well, so Ben, so it sounds like you had a lot on your plate. You you get burnt out quickly. Maybe some of the the more strident language of you quitting every other week is more about you just being like burnt out and need a break kind of thing versus like you know i think it's hard you can't keep quitting every week because at some point you're coming back so um yeah i think that might have been a bit of an exaggeration once we got to the point i mean i definitely was really burned out on pinball but i i still was helping with the rob zombie game but then in 2016, when we were going to, you know, start my next game, I was totally on board. Okay. So, so I've that... gotten all the, all all of my bitchiness, or like my my original bitch, bitchiness and wishy washiness was like mostly in 2015. Like first of all, oh crap, nobody wants my ghost game. Then okay, people want my ghost game. I'm feeling good, but I'm really burnt out. I mean, if you look at like what Scott Tanisi said, he's not going to program his next game. I bet he feels the same way. Right. It's just too much work. For one person. I mean, that's what it seems. And so let's talk about 2016 and your next title that was slated to be a spooky release. So how did that whole thing transpire? Like what was communicated to you? What what, what were you expecting with that game and and its release? And and then what what happened? Because I think that's sort of become the 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 center of gravity of a lot of the back and forth lately. Well, one part of it that I can say, because uh, Charlie said it during a convention, which I guess means it's public knowledge is that originally I was going to do Monty Python and the Holy grail as a license. Okay. And I guess, uh, well, as often happens, I guess, uh, I think Terry Gilliam's daughter is responsible for all of their uh, marketing or licensing. 
And I think I think they they pitched it to Stern, but Stern turned it down. And then probably because they had at this at that time they had Medieval Madness coming out and Game of Thrones, you know, similar themes. Uh, yeah. So Charlie's like, "Oh, I think we can get you that." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool." So I started designing a uh, a Black Knight because of course the main toy has to be the Black Knight. And the idea was, um, how did it work? I had a rotating cam for his legs. So the cam would rotate kind of almost like a music box, you know, like with little pegs on it that hit the, the, the tines. The cam would rotate in such a way that I think it was either weights or gravity or magnets, so his legs would fall off. The cam would rotate like 20 degrees. One leg would fall off. It would rotate 20 more degrees. The other leg would fall off. And then there was an arm that lowered his body. And then his arms would also, they wouldn't fall off, but they'd kind of go behind his back. So it looked like you would basically, every time you hit him, you would dismember part of him. Right. Where where would they go if they fell off in, on a pinball play field? They don't fall off. Like they they fold behind his back. Ah, so they okay, disappear. I see. You know, like in a movie where they someone someone lost an arm and they just tape it behind their yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Or, or do you remember like it wasn't Transformers? Do you remember those cars back in the eighties, little diecast cars where they had like simulated damage? Remember? Do you remember those? You could like smash the car and like a little panel would flip yeah, it around would, like, and it would flip look, over like, and look all yeah. damaged. Yep. It it was kind of like that, right? And gotcha. then I had, I think that whole thing ran off like two cams. So you could give, you could, if you moved it less than 20 degrees, it would like give you kind of a free animation, you know? So you could like jiggle a little bit and be like, oh, what are you going to do? Bleed on me. And then I wanted one of those uh, World Cup soccer very targets that go back and forth. You know those? Mm-hmm. I wanted to have one of those in front. So that would be like a shield. So that would be moving. And if you hit that, he'd give you a negative retort. And then if you got the ball past it, that's when you would, you know, take a piece of his armor off. So it was really, I was, oh, there's the knight. That's his shield. Right. You know, super so obvious. So was this, like, did you actually physically make this toy or is this a design concept? I had it in foam core and rough 3D printed parts. Okay. So I, I the, but then I can't remember, one of the, one of the flying circus guys got dementia. I don't know which one it was. And that's one of those deals where everybody has to sign off on something. So there was a period there where... Basically, they weren't really able to make any deals, and that's when that license drifted away. Okay, so you get the word that this license can't move forward for for the reasons you just described, and then then what happens next? You're sort of you're going back will, to the vault of of another theme I can think of. I will say one thing about uh, uh, Monty Python. It's like we would have to do it very very well. Because basically, we would have to make the real thing better than the ripoff, which is Medieval Madness, and that's a tall order. Right. So that was one concern of mine. Uh, which is yeah, like so- the number one or two game of all time. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise. I think I think Monty Python could have been cool. I, my pitch was to make the uh, make the LCD like a 16-bit RPG game. You know, like you'd be collecting members that look like a Super Nintendo game and right. they'd walk around and they'd fight like 16-bit dragons and stuff. And part of my reason for doing that was to make the uh, the hardware uh, the hardware requirements lower so we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to use P-Rock. I mean, we haven't seen anyone even come within a country mile, though, of making a toy or a mechanism as cool as the Medieval Madness Castle. And the thing is that castle is so simple. Right. It's just, it's just one solenoid. I think that's what they really need in pinball. They need... Mechs that are satisfying, that there's a satisfying result to physical action of the ball, but also make the mech simple enough that it doesn't cause production issues. And, you know, that castle was fairly simple, but 
you know, everyone under, everyone understands the concept of destroying castles, you know, a castle siege. You don't have to explain it to people, you know? We've all Which seen is interesting because, I mean, I'm going to jump forward a little bit, but we have a, a castle game that eventually comes out from Spooky and Alice Cooper's, which has a huge physical castle, but there was really nothing animated about it. That is absolutely true. We'll talk later about that game. So <laughs> let's talk about, okay, so Monty Python had to be done right. License was an issue. You then, Ben, go back to the drawing board for another theme. Yeah, we never, we never got, I never got into the layout phase of that game. I mean, you know, again, it wasn't really for sure. So that's, I, I basically just started with that toy concept. I don't know if I still have those in a box someplace. I, I'm sure I have the files. Okay. I think it would have been really cool. Uh, yeah. So then we were looking at another theme, which I still won't, you know, say what it is because there was an NDA attached to it. So I, I well, okay. But I got to stop you there. Cause somebody grabbed a Twitter conversation in which it, you said, how cool would evil dead be as a pinball machine? It, so that's it, a rhetorical statement. <laughs> okay. So you can't confirm or deny that it would be evil dead, but let's just hypothetically said you were working on something. A question I have been, so w- within this, the spooky umbrella as, as a company, uh, was there any pressure to make sure the themes aligned with the spooky theme? Sort of as a, you know, sort of a. Oh, horror. you mean you mean your, your thing where spooky is not a very good name for a pinball company because it implies every game needs to be spooky. No, there was never any any pressure to do that. Right. Okay. I mean, think about Jetsons isn't spooky. Dominoes isn't. Well, spooky. they but also it's funny. Well, the amount of salt might be spooky. Spooky still doesn't consider those games to be spooky games. It's weird. Well, you know, they're like contract manufactured, but they don't. It's weird. They put the ghost on those machines, but then whenever they list out spooky games, they always leave out those games. So it's like, which one is it? But anyway, so you go to the drawing board on a game that you can't talk about because of NDL. Respect that, even though I just said what I saw. Um, and so you started that in 2016? Correct. So this, this is the kind of the part where it gets a little, uh, I don't want to say dicey for me, but I guess where some of my consternation comes from. So at that time, you know, after like, uh, you know, years and years of Charlie, like asking me to just, you know, go quit my day job. Charlie's big joke was that I convinced him to quit his day job and start a pinball company. And I'm like, no, Charlie, I told you not to do that. Although it, it did work for him. So, (laughs) well, you know, it's, it's still a, it's a risk endeavor. But then in 2016, I was pretty tired of doing my, my show because it was very stressful and a lot of work and my blood pressure was way up because it was basically a weekly, you know, television production uh yeah anyway so i was like okay you know if we're gonna do this license this was the plan i'm like i'll, I'll start making it uh i think i think i started out in november of 2016 i built a new super rotisserie which is the most amazing development rotisserie there is um i built that and then yeah i started doing all these foam core markets this is really cool system because it basically has an italian bottom and then the top most of it is a big half inch foam core cartridge, you know, like a piece of, you know what foam core is, right? And what I could do is I could put a bunch of stuff in the foam core and then it, it all worked too. It was a shootable game. And then I could pop the cap off the back, slide the foam core cartridge out. I think it was like 30 by 40. No, it was, uh, uh, oh yeah, it was 20, it was 20 and it was 20 and a half by 30. 
No, I'm sorry. I'm sure my podcast listeners are going to try to recreate those schematics, but keep going. No, it was 20. It's a 20 by 30 piece of foam core. And then as your listeners probably know, a play field is 20.25. So the cartridge shimmed in between two one eighth inch thick pieces of steel centering the cartridge in the correct area. I put a lot of thought into it anyway. So you pull the cartridge out. Oh, and then the cartridge you take, you get the foam core, but then you, uh, uh, spray adhesive, this grid onto it, like a coordinates grid, right? Mm -hmm. Then you put down all your pieces and and try it out. Then you can take a photo of it and scan it into the computer. And then the next iteration, you take what the, you know, you take what you drew into the computer, print that out with a coordinates grid at Kinko's or whatever, then slap that on foam core and then do the next revision. Okay. So you're, you're going between physical and digital design. Yeah, so I actually start with physical design foam core. Once I've got like some rails on it and you know I like the way it shoots, I pull it out, I scan it in the computer, then I print a new copy of it that has the same, you know, measurement grid lines, but it also has the th- the things that I added in. Okay, oh, I like this target, I like this curve. So I, I print that in it. Then I stick it back in the machine and then I rebuild the surface because I've got a guide for it. Okay, here's where the rails go. Here's where that drop tucker goes. And the foam core, you can just cut that with an X-Acto knife. Right. right. So then I build up the next revision and then I start adding more stuff to it. And I went through like five versions of that before I even did a Whitewood. Uh, question for you, Ben. So at this stage, and I'm always curious about this, did you have a license in mind that was locked or were you just designing a game and then you would think about the license later? No, I designed it with a license in mind, which I think is what you should do when you're designing a game. But but I guess my question then is, like, you're starting the work on the game. Did you know the license was available and you could have it? That was the issue. Uh, the license was a negotiation, but then there were issues that prevented it from being obtainable, which, of course, means money. Okay. And was it... A question I have, too, because Spooky's games always seem to be around the same price. Was there ever a conversation internally over there? Well, if we have yes. to, if we yes, have to I, charge five hundred more per game, and that gets me the license, let's just do it. We're watching Stern and all these other guys charge nine thousand dollars for nothing but artwork. That conversation happened. Uh, David Van Ness and I pitched the idea of offering a mere one hundred and fifty LEs. You know, because one hundred and fifty AMHs, <sighs> one hundred and fifty LEs at only five hundred extra each would have done it and that's where i was like kind of threw my hands up in the air and maybe that's a little bit too much information you know charlie's gonna kick me in the balls but i mean i just don't think that's good business honestly you know that's and that should be everyone's concern not just mine but anyone that works there or anyone that invests in the product well i've always said you know i i don't get it and i've said this on this show and i think ben you listen the the notion that this hobby can't absorb $500 $500 more to get a theme people want is a name because the people who buy these games for the most part are millionaires. So and- I, th- I think, I think Charlie has too many friends who are rich pinheads. He can't step back and realize how rich the customers are. Like we live in, we live in a country where 50% of the population can't cover an emergency $500 expense. That's why you see check cashing and loan title places in every strip mall. Right. It's like, People who can buy a $6,000 toy can buy a $7,000 toy can buy an $8,000 toy. They're very well off. And yes, you're right. It's not that much of a stretch. That's a little bit more. Well, and a, the number also, one rule of business, pass all pass all cost increase on the customers. Yeah, That's what also, every company does. It also seems kind of ironic to me 
that you can also go order like a $700 butter cabinet upgrade, which you don't really need, but that price was not seen I as... I thought it was $1,000 for that. Right, is a th- right, so it's like... I don't know. It's and and this seems like a theme people really wanted. So I, you know, I, I can see how that would have been frustrating. And I and I've always said I think some of these manufacturers, it's like they feel like they're doing it for the greater good of pinball and not understanding the marketplace they're even in. Yeah, I mean, when I when I first started doing this with America's Most Haunted, I didn't understand the marketplace enough, and now I do. Yeah, it's uh, well. You you say this all the time. It's middle-aged white dudes who are rich, and they want. And I think you're a little bit further with this. They want. To, they want to remind themselves of being single, so they turn their bars. They turn. They turn their basements into bars to remind themselves of being in their twenties, and they want themes that remind them of being ten. That's it. Right. That's that's the key. That's well, all. And, and I think you've learned this lesson too. You know, we're not going to hold punches on this show. America's most haunted art package, not the best. But knowing what you know now, you could have taken ten grand, got an incredible artist to just one-time cost to make it one of the sexiest pinball machines, and then you raise the price of every game by like four hundred, five hundred bucks, and you're you're good. Like it, it's it, yeah. I mean, look look at Stern's LE model. I mean, I don't know what Christopher Franchi charges. It's probably you know it's probably a good amount, but. Let's say it's I don't know. I'm just just from what I know of art budgets, I would say another you could probably get another art package for ten thousand dollars, right? Absolutely. So for for, for ten thousand dollars, and that's all Ellie is is a different art package now and a stupid one dollar plaque. For ten thousand dollars and a one dollar plaque, you can basically write yourself a check for two grand more per game. And what Stern does is when they have like, all right, we gotta develop spike two, like raise the price and that's business. Like you basically, it's it's just like uh, free to play mobile games. There's whales out there that buy all the stupid transactions and, and and crap, and that pays for everyone who plays the game for free. It's the same kind of thing. You find right. the customers who are willing to vomit out money, and you take as much of their money as possible. Right. I I agree. I mean, I I still to this day I look at when I go to pinball shows and I see the way people gobble up these games and we're talking, they gobble up these games, Ben, without even playing them, (laughs) without even seeing them. Sometimes they're writing checks for $9,000. So, okay. So let's get back to the story of the game gets put on the shelf because you designed to a theme that spooky was not going to increase the price to allow you to pay the licensor to make the game so where's the game now like is it is it pretty complete and it's just like it just needs a manufacturer to no it's not really complete uh i submitted the whitewood files in june of 2017 and that was around the same time that they were getting tna into production and the, <laughs> I don't think this is any surprise. Alice Cooper was supposed to come out in 2017, which is probably fairly humorous to hear now, but it was originally. And it wasn't ready because there wasn't enough investment into creative. And so TNA came along and uh, saved some butts. And it sounds like it saved the company. Without it, there was nothing on the on the roster, right? I think people could probably do the math and come to that conclusion without me actually saying it. It was a smart move. I mean, we've said on this show every time, I mean, grabbing oh, TNA, 
was definitely a, was a smart move. The game was developed. It was it was making waves at the shows it went to, and 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 it's done. It's been the best selling game, and I've always said the best selling game isn't it, really a spooky game. And the only reason they stopped taking orders was because they wanted to, they have to get Al Scooper done before you know before there's a license term, obviously. So. Right, and yeah, he can he can make he, okay. So you, they'll, they'll probably make more TNAs in the future. They may as well. It's unlicensed, so they can they can make it forever. Right, absolutely. So at this point, I guess what I'm saying is between them working on Alice Cooper and spooling up TNA because they needed something for the line, my game just got lost in the shuffle, basically. And that's when I'm like, hey, okay, well, give me something to do because I'm on retainer. And that's when I started working on Alice Cooper creative stuff. What are your thoughts on Alice Cooper? I, <laughs> I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think more time could have been spent on some things. Uh, but uh, I'm proud of all the storyboarding that I did for the screen and working with David Van Ness and then uh, Jeff, who you know took my storyboards and made them into awesome art. So, yeah, of course when, I'm going to say that my favorite parts are what I did because I'm an ego, egotistical bastard. When <laughs> I think some of the, the early criticisms we've had are just tight shots, and that just seems to be something that we hear not just on spooky games. We, we heard it on a Houdini that games that are brick fests sometimes frustrate people more than entertain them. Do, do you think the shots are a little tight in the game? I think in games that I like to design – I think you should have some shots that are easier to hit, wide open, and rewarding. Uh, I th- what was it, Wrath of Olympus? You were talking about that recently, right? Again, well, yeah, there's one for sale for twenty five thousand dollars. I mean, sure. <laughs> that game. Where the do shots, I buy? <laughs> the shots were way too tight. You, did, you, did you ever play it? There was there was like kind of like this like almost like fan layout where all the entry points or stand up targets were at the same distance from the flippers, and all the shots were really tight. So. You had to get the ball past all of that rigmarole to even see it do anything else, and wasn't very enjoyable. Yeah, it's and, the same way in Houdini to feed the most rewarding shot, which is that awesome milk can shot. There's like this shot you have to hit that's barely the size of the ball. I mean, it's just a little bit wider. Yeah, and they were what shaving down stand-up targets even. Yeah, which is actually kind of a cool idea to make a skinnier target. Well, I think with most of these games, I've said the same thing with Alice Cooper's with Houdini. If you just have one less shot and open up every other shot and make those shots more rewarding, how is that not going to make the game more fun? And I think what happens too is I think there's a panic and this this is just me guessing a little bit and my supposition is that I think there's anxiety that if we make a game too easy, the tournament players who are the guys who are testing the games all the time are, are going to are going to revolt. But here's right. here's the, here's the thing that nobody in the marketplace gets. The I know what you're guys say. don't buy your fucking games. Oh, okay. I didn't expect you to say that. No, they don't. The tourney players who like there's there's like a handful of them. Like there's hey, like Hilton, the, Hilton buys a lot of pins, brand new pins. Right. And I think and he also thinks that Wrath of Olympus is an amazing shooter. That's that's probably because he has one and he yeah, wants to get twenty five. Sh- he's trying to show up the price. It's funny. Hey, somebody... you know, if if you had something that cost you six thousand dollars in parts, you can get twenty five grand for it. Why not? So let me, but Ben, he he says that he turned down an offer for twenty five thousand dollars. I, well, I, that, I can't tell you if he did or not. I'm not like a psychologist. No, that's what he said. He said he said 
if if this is any indication of of the unsolicited offers I got, he goes, this game should sell fast. It's for sale for twenty five thousand. So anyway, well, <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. So okay, oh, I was so, just gonna, I was going to say one more thing, which, yeah. I, what, which is what I thought you were going to say regarding tournament players. You can always make a game more difficult and deeper with code, but you can never change the geometry. Absolutely, and that's the part. That's a great point because I never understand uh, why people complain about a game where it's like easy to hit the shots, but you could always make the code difficult, right? And I saw we saw right. this on Batman when Lyman Sheets was coding Batman. The shots on Batman are not hard to hit, right? But he made some of the minor villains, like the original way he coded Bookworm, you had a hit, like it was like 15 to 17 shots in a row to complete the mode, right? That's hard. Yeah. It's hard. You can always math it up. Like, well, like on Monsters, uh, they've got that Dracula target and that Lily target, which is just cost cutting. But there's nothing to stop them from making it like three hits per letter. You know, like maybe the L and the Lily gets brighter, brighter, brighter. Then the next I gets brighter, brighter, brighter. You know, like three shades per hit. Right. As long as you have a way to easily catch the ball, stop the ball, show an animation. If you have, you know, some, you know, some physical mechanism for stopping the ball to have start-stop animation, mode start, whatever, you can always make the code more difficult just by right. making it deeper or having higher requirements. So, besides America's Most Haunted, out of all the games that Spooky has made to date, which one would you like to own? Uh, probably TNA. I like TNA. Yeah, I mean that's it's the their game. greatest selling game. The the American or the global pinball buying public has also decided that that is the game that they would also like to buy. I think they're making five hundred and fifty before they switch the line over completely to Alice Cooper. Why do you think Charlie showed Alice Cooper at TPF and it's been a long wait? Because he had TNA right. On, was it was it just to be there? I'm always curious about the decisions these guys make because that he, was that was after I kind of like walked away. <sighs> I don't surely, know. I, I suppose by he now, figured, Ben, like, I, I, he must have figured he needed to show something. But he had TNA being made, and again, I think a lot of it is just anxiety, right? I, and I and it, you know to well because I, a lot of times when you you get a license, whether or not you're actually manufacturing the game, the clock is ticking. Right. Like, you know, everyone talks about Big Lebowski. It's like that license is so expired. It's like not even funny. Right. Right. Did, did Were you a fan of the $1,000 non-refundable deposit strategy? Uh, I mean, you're basically asking I, people to give a thousand bucks. Honestly, I think that speaks to a lack of confidence in one's design. But they're ask, asking for that with TNA too, right? No, not not with TNA. I, uh, look, it was birthed out of. I get why my, it happened. Not, it, my, not my decision. You know it was I mean? birthed to. It was birthed out of response to what people were doing with Rob Zombie, where people were, you know, back then, and and, and again, it's we say back then, like it was fifty years ago. It was actually like three years ago. Back in my day, right? People were like flipping machines quickly for a buck because if they were limited. You you could make a dollar or two. People, we saw people flip. Yeah, Rob Zombie was up to like eight or nine thousand dollars at one point, and then it quickly dropped below right. the retail price. And then what happened was, guys had ordered them in, in the way they wanted, and then they bailed right before they were supposed to take shipment. And that's why. And look, for a big company like Stern, who already sells through to all these distributors, 
they can weather, you know, a few jackass flippers like me doing that to them. They can't, Spooky can't weather uh, that kind of behavior uh, because to your point, once people saw Rob Zombie selling on the secondhand market for much cheaper, why would you buy a new one, right? So that's what I had that same them. concern. Like I saw, I don't, re- I don't remember what convention it was because back then I was going to too many goddamn conventions. But I was at some show and somebody had America's Most Haunted for like fifty-seven fifty, you know, less than six thousand dollars, and we haven't even like sold them all yet. I'm like, oh fuck, right. you know, I was, I was pretty worried. Right. Well, but that's they, me. I, I'm the, I'm the pessimist who worries about things like right. that. So okay, so. I want to ask you about some other companies uh, uh, when we do the show. Just closing the loop on on, on Spooky. Um, it sounds like Ben, you still do you still want to work in pinball? Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see how much better I could do. You know, how much I could improve. After I did America's Most Haunted, I was doing library support, graphics drivers, you know, dot drivers, right. stuff any, like that. Any um. Uh, not a whole lot of creative work. If, it's like I'd like to be creative again. I mean, I guess I did you know storyboard and I wrote you know quite a bit of dialogue for Rob Zombie. But so knowing the pinball friendly. landscape, knowing all the companies that are out there, if I could you know snap my fingers and place you at one of the companies, which one would you love to go work for tomorrow? <laughs> I think you've asked me this before, haven't you? I don't know. I mean, what on episode two hundred and seventeen? We're on three hundred four here. Well, you do like a podcast every day. So it's hard to keep track. I mean, I have to, I have to win, you know, with cadence. I can't win with quality. <laughs> Honestly, I can't say. I would say that I, uh, I don't know. I think you've you've asked me this before. Too All many right, of so them are. Let too me, many of them are in Illinois. Like, are you, are you intrigued state, by? Are you intrigued a, by Deep Root? You've met with Robert. Oh, I've met Robert many times. He tried to buy Spooky, right? Is that public record? That's what I mean. That's what I hear through the grapevine. It is now. <laughs> I, I mean, but look, I think I it worked out. I don't think he, I don't that. think they care now. I mean, they've got their thing going on. I mean, I I think I said on an earlier show this a couple weeks ago. I think Chuck should have t- took the money, but um. Well, you, you know work? what happens is first as soon as you sell your company, guess what happens? Founder gets fired. Well, that's why you get money, though. <laughs> exactly, because again, business one hundred and one have an exit strategy so uh regarding deep root i'm of course i'm curious to see what they make i think they'll either completely blow us away or completely fail i don't think there's going to be an in-between right i agree i i I think they either hit it out of the park or they they whiff um and i think everyone sounds like they're doing a lot of original themes based off that interview you did uh the previous interview you did with what's his face with quinn yeah i mean well, we know for sure they are doing a lot of originals, right? It's like you've got all of John's originals, J-Pops. You've got yep. it sounds like original from from Barry and Dennis, and uh, you know we know they secured an '80s theme. We know that, um, but it's all and, anybody and wants. Do you think that's a real risk? You know, we talk a lot about this, Ben, all the time. I it's, definitely do. I think I think these companies are drunk on original themes right now, and I don't think the market can sustain it. Yeah, it's hard to market an original theme. It's hard to, it's hard to pull people in. What people need to remember with TNA is that it was being taken to shows for at least a year before it was sold. So people liked the game, not just being you know sucked into the license or the theme, right? right. So it proved itself. 
people were asking for it to be made. But if you just pull an original theme out of your ass, like, oh, I don't know, dialed in, people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? Right. And it's a great game, but you you know you either have to sell people on the game or sell them on the license. And there, I, I, that was that. Going back to Spooky for just a second, I know Chuck Chuck did say, oh, we'll just you know make your game into an unlicensed theme, like the America's Most Haunted follow up, the uh, you know Urban Legends game, and that's a cool idea. But you know, it it'll, it would probably sell better than America's Most Haunted, but it's not going to sell as much as a license would. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. Abs- no, absolutely, and I think. The so other deep, part of TNA, deep, deep. though, and and I, I think this is a fair assessment. I think TNA also sold a lot because people love Scott Denisi, and he's a man of the people within the community, and that goes a long way. You can't underestimate the fact that if John Papaduke showed TNA the exact same game, there's not the same affinity. And I also think TNA did some things. It, it, it felt original and fresh with a light show. It was it was you know a little bit back to basics of pinball for people. You didn't walk up to it and it wasn't like a, a, a confused, complex pinball experience. It was fast and fun and furious for people. Even when I interviewed George Gomez, he was like, "The one game I really loved at the shows was TNA." You know, that's that's a glowing endorsement for that game. So Chuck made the right move. Um, so Ben, you are you are now a talented man in limbo. There are a lot of pinball manufacturers out there that are trying to be successful, be competitive. Um, what are your thoughts on the companies that are out there? We just talked a little bit about Deep Root. Do you think... Oh, uh, I want to say one more thing about TNA. Go on. I think a huge part of its success was it was so effing loud, you could hear it above all the cacophony at all the pinball shows, and you were drawn to it. Yeah, it sounded amazing. And the light That's- show too, right? It just, <laughs> it, It's like, ooh, what's that? Well, you know you, you know what you're when you're at a pinball show... And you hear like a certain audio clip or a certain sound effect. You're like, oh, they've got that game here, right? Right. Yeah, like a little adrenaline boost. TNA, you could hear that thing across across the country. Right. All right. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're talking I, about no, and it, 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 it's it's why it found its niche within the marketplace. And, and again, it's not trying to sell 5,000. It's trying to, you know, just sell a few now, hundred. Now, now, thinking back, though, uh, let's say they sell, I don't know, well, they Hey, five fifty is more than I thought they'd sell. My bet was three hundred. That that's really good for Spooky. Although I don't know if that would have been considered a success for any other company, but it's great for Spooky. I don't right. know how many Stern would have made. I think Europeans would have loved that fucking. I mean, thing. I would just love to know. This is always what's hard. How many Houdinis did they sell? <sighs> Considering how much that's dropped in the secondary market. I, I would bet under a thousand. I highly doubt it sold a thousand units. I don't think it sold a thousand. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know. Maybe TNA has sold more than Houdini. They'll never tell us. So speaking of American, well, if they pinball, won't, if they won't tell you, then that means the number's not very good. Right. Well, we know. And what's crazy too is Jersey Jack came out and and started to reveal sales numbers. Not that I believe them, but. He said that dialed in sold fifteen hundred, which is a colossal flop for them when you think about it, because they oh, are a, set up for volume. And it's, they, an, it's an original theme, and that's it's a tough sell. Yeah, they've what well, they probably sold like what four or five thousand Wizard of Oz. That game has been smash hit. Right, and yeah. it and well, and what's interesting <sighs> about Jack is every title since Waz, it's he's had nothing but sales declines. So four thousand. 2000 hobbits 1500 dialed ins and i don't you know i don't think pirates is gonna like 
be a sales success? I, again, Pirates was like, hey, this game has to be cool. And that's what, what made people want it. I mean, the theme, you know, it's basically kind of a done theme. I mean, maybe in China they still care. But as far as America is concerned, that, that IP is pretty old. Right. Uh, but, I mean, you keep talking about a Willy Wonka or a Toy Story. Uh, either one of those themes will be – it doesn't matter if it's a blank piece of plywood with art on it. They'll sell. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jack has got juggernaut themes waiting. Guns N' Roses, Willy Wonka, and Toy Story. He just needs to make them. The question is, will his billionaire investor be fed up if pirate sales are not where they need to be? Uh, Yeah, I guess that would be the question. But when you're a billionaire, it's like, I don't know. Like, Do you even notice well, losing what's... a million here, a million there? Uh, I... I don't know. I mean, you know, a billionaire, billion, billion dollars is an unlimited amount of money. It's yeah, but it's like a thousand million. I don't know. And then the interest you grow on. That's correct. Okay. So let's talk about the marketing strategy. I mean, you could, you could be like Jeff Bezos and be getting divorced and there goes half of it. Right. Yeah. It's still not going to affect them. Let's talk about the marketing strategy to release a game called Oktoberfest in. That's like how, how many times do you have to get divorced to no longer be a billionaire? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, are you talking about Oktoberfest? Uh, yeah, what's the strategy of launching a game called Oktoberfest in the month of March? Didn't did we talk about Oktoberfest on the show after it was released? I can't remember. I don't know. I think we talked about whether the theme was good or not, but I'm. I think we did. I think we t- you talked about the monkey, right? Yeah, I, I remember because I remember I was really curious to listen to your podcast when that show was released. I actually listened to that on a train in Portland. Uh, so I was on the train listening to your podcast on my way to Voodoo Donuts to get a maple donut because I'm like, oh, I got to know what Chris has to say about this. You're uh-huh. like on a train bound to nowhere. That's when you put on Canada's Pinball Podcast. Um, so look, was, West do, Side of Portland. Which do you cool. think? So they revealed it at Expo. Do you think they're going to be able to get hype back? Like, how do you get hype back for that game? See, I've heard that it's mechanically a really cool game. I haven't played it. I didn't go to Expo. But can it overcome the theme? I don't... I think the theme is worse than people think it is. Does that make any sense? It's like, oh, this will be great for bars. It's like... Right. Most of these these pins are going into millionaires' basements, you know? People are like... For every Sunshine Laundry, there's a hundred other locations that only want Keymaster kitty gambling games. Right. But I don't get that notion of like, when I'm in a bar, it doesn't mean I want to be playing like Budweiser pinball. Yes. It's just like, you know, the pitch that everyone has heard. Oh, we should make an NFL pin because there's, you know, however many teams and we can make a model for every team and everybody loves football. And you know what? As far as booze is concerned, I like drinking booze. You know, I don't, I, I don't care about a pinball machine based around booze. Right. Although that tap, that tapper arcade machine is pretty fun. So here's 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 my thing. They should have made tapper pinball. Uh, how would you translate that? Oh, you could shoot the targets. The targets could exactly. Be the It'd be, imagine that. Like they they pop up and you have to like shoot them before they go down. Like it's like now, a beer. If you think like, about it, at least, at least the the video game Tapper, it's a game about booze or Mountain Dew, depending on the version or the root beer. 
but the game itself is set in a bar and the idea of drinking is part of the game. Wait, wait, Ben, imagine this. Imagine like the artwork on the playfield of Tapper. It looks like, you know, three or four bars lined up going up the playfield. That's drawn. The target pops up and moves from left to right quickly and you have to shoot it before it goes over the edge. Oh yeah, so basically you're shooting the glasses right. off the How table. How cool would that be? That would be really cool because it's like, oh, there's a target, it's moving, I have right. to shoot that. And then you can think you don't about have diffi- to explain difficulty, it. you change the speed as you get to later levels in the game. Or you have multiple targets, multiple just like multiple tar- customers. We just yeah. designed we just we just came up with a great concept for tapper pinball, which is, and then you think about all the iconography, the the emotional attachment people have to the tapper arcade game is the same, you know, the, the same target you're going after with the 56 year old men who grew up with that game that they love. You know what game I think would be really a, so I see these threads on Pinside about there should be Zelda pinball, there should be Mario pinball, or God, it made me laugh. There should be Fortnite pinball. It's like I just shake my head. But you know what would be? How about Rampage? You have like three buildings on the play field and you hit targets and knock them down. That's right. it. Right. And then you change the lighting or change the buildings come back up and they're a different height. Oh, that's a different city. Boom. Done. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that'd be cool. There, there's, there is a, there, there have been attempts, right? Street fighter, pinball. There's been attempts to, it should translate. be, it should be a video game that can translate to the physics of pinball. Yeah, absolutely. Like Angry Birds would have been amazing. People would have hated it, right. but it would have made sense. Street Fighter doesn't make sense. I think Street Fighter is possibly the worst pinball machine I've ever played <laughs> because it doesn't translate. I know, I know. Oh, well, in Fortnite, it's like, oh, I didn't know 12-year-olds buy $7,000 toys. Right, <laughs> right, right. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. So as you look at 2019 in pinball, you know, obviously the Stern train keeps on a roll in. What do you think of Munsters? I think the black and white looks amazing. And I think it's hilarious that people who want an ancient TV show theme are complaining about it. Right. I think these are the same people. The show was in black and white. Right. These are the same people who won't watch a movie with subtitles, I'm guessing. I know that sounds really crass, but it's a black and white show. Right. <laughs> Do you agree with Stern's decision to put the black and white as the premium and not the LE since it's such a unique approach? I'm sure I'm sure there was a lot of thought put into it, like how to basically kind of like I don't want to say trick the customer, but I think they were being strategic about it because they're like, we have to sell our LEs because that's our cash cow. But if we put something controversial on it, like black and white, it might not sell as well. So we'll put that one, one, uh, you know, one tier down, so to speak. Right. I mean, you know, they make decisions like this. Like you play Deadpool, right? Unfortunately. You know, you notice there's like a, a, a unicorn with a rainbow behind it, but the rainbow is miscolored, so it's not gay. Like, have you noticed things like it's that's on the game? Well, like, I mean, you know, like, these decisions I, have been made. The only reason I say unfortunately with Deadpool because. I think George Gomez might listen to this podcast. I, the reason I say, unfortunately, is they just made a PG Deadpool game, which makes no sense to me. Well, we're going to get PG-13 Deadpool movies now that Disney owns Fox. I don't know, though. And Disney's, you know, they've had R-rated movies. Well, I, I just, Yeah, 30 years ago. I, I just I just think, you know, Deadpool's a miss because of that. And the humor's too PG. It doesn't really work. Well, just like comic books, nobody cares about comic books. I don't care. Anyone says nobody cares. It's all about the movies. So right. if you're talking, if you're talking Deadpool, 
people are thinking Ryan Reynolds and a bunch of sex jokes. So I would agree on that. And yeah, but even I played that game. I think actually Hilton has one on location. And I was just kind of, I was struck even for PG rated humor. I was struck at just how badly it was written. I mean, honestly, it it, was, it sounded like jokes from like a Nickelodeon show. I was kind of surprised like, Oh, my trusty steed. And he's like on an inflatable horse. It's like, you could, you could, they could have done better. It's right. like you hired you hired Nolan North, right? And he's he's saying this dialogue, and oh my god, I think it should have been better. I just don't know why they didn't give you an option to turn on an adult mode and just have the guy have a whole script over all those PG jokes with like R-rated humor. So you know what we did on on Rob Zombie? Like Rob Zombie has a non-adult mode or whatever. So if there's five different things that Rob Zombie says for an event, right? It's like the first three are PG and the last two are, you know, have profanity. And all you do is you change the random number generator, right? You either say, okay, clip zero, one, two, if family mode, or if not family mode, extend the RNG range to zero, one, two, three, four, five. Right. So you just think about, yeah, you just split it in half and then you change the range of the random number generator for what he's going to say. Right. Well, I, I don't think Stern's going to give the people what they want, which is, was an adult mode. Um, in terms of, I'm trying to think who else is out there. So Dutch Pinball is pretty much dead. We saw them come out this week and say, hey, everybody, here's the update. There is no update. Um, when do you yeah. think they're finally just going to call it quits? Well, Highway eventually stopped, right? Yeah. I, You know, if I had to guess... What's happening with the, uh, the the DP thing is they realize once they finally say they're done, then they are done. Like, they'll never have a chance again. They're not John Papaduke. They'll never have another chance to do this in the hobby. They'll be tainted, you know? They'll, they'll have to do something else for a living, right? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like Kevin Spacey. Like, he'll never get to act again, probably. And now, I guess he's going to have to go work at a brokerage firm or something. Maybe that's a not the best not the best analogy, but so no. the lo- the longer they the longer they stave off admitting defeat, right? I think it's more for their ego rather than their customers. The, and like the, like you said in your last podcast, yeah, the the people who bought for the games they should be the ones deciding because they are the investors, right? right? If if it was a company, well, as you know, you have a board of directors and you have investors, and ultimately they're making the shots, right? The problem with Dutch is when it comes to calling it quits is there is nothing to call quits. There is no factory. They are paying rent on. There are no employees, right? So they could, they could ostensibly keep this thing going forever where highway, you know, they had fixed cost every month. Yeah. So as you say, they, they, they don't they have tired to of losing up. money. They're not losing any more money anymore. Dutch. They're just, they're just nothing happening. Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, where's the fucking money, Lebowski? And, you know, that is the ultimate irony. <laughs> the quote from the damn movie haunts them forever. <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, I, and the thing is, those games that are at ARA, I still, I think it's ridiculous. It's, like, it's clear what happened. They underestimated what it would cost to make a game. ARA probably underestimated it as well. The cost to make the game was too high. The Dutch ran out of money. They couldn't pay the bills, and therefore those games are in the warehouse. So those games. Like it or not, they do not belong to the buyers. They belong to ARA. It's Dutch's responsibility to generate the funds to buy those games to fulfill their customers' needs. 
I, not ARA. It's yeah, I agree that that is exactly what must have happened. And it would, be like, it would be like if Ford went on a business and I expected a steel mill to like give me a car. Right. And what's what's so annoying is what they should have done when when you know ARA came clean and said, "Hey, like this is the first pinball game we've ever made. It was it was actually like six thousand five hundred versus forty five hundred for each game." And then Dutch should have just and Dutch, you know, who also I think spent all the money traveling the world and and doing that's other, expensive. Yeah, it is. People don't get it. Like shipping a pinball game is not cheap, and flying around to other shows around the world, flying international. Yeah, ship, shipping shipping the pinball machine is more expensive than shipping a human. Right. Oh, and didn't they also like rent out a penthouse in the hotel? Didn't they have like oh yeah? Babes? It was it was a great party. I went to it. It was did, fun. Did, didn't they grab the mic and say "fuck Gary Stern"? I, I, yeah, they did. I was I wasn't at that speech, but I heard it was very uh, very pro- colorful, profane. Yes. Well, and that's the thing. It's like so. What they should have done though, when they reached that impasse with ARA, they basically should have said, "Look," they should have been clean and honest with her and clear and said, "Here's what we're going to do." And this is like a little bit of a page from AMA. Well, ARA gave them a gave them a way out, but they didn't take it. Right, and they should. Yeah, they wanted because then of, they would have been done. Same right. thing. Or they should have said, "Look, here's here's what we're going to do. We're we're going to tell the pinball buyers and the community the re- the truth, and that is, it costs more for us to create this company to manufacture your games." Here's what. Here's the only way we can survive and get all games made. We're only going to make five hundred. The price now is twelve thousand, whatever five hundred dollars, and that's it. And you know, and then the people could have. He's like, hey, here's the difference, right? You, and the people so could you got to add another four thousand to the mix if you were if you, early achiever. Look at, look at how much they're flipping for. Like what? Like close to twenty grand? Yeah. So well, and, and and that would have probably worked. I mean, when you look at games now. The Big Lebowski looks like it's definitely equal value to a Jersey Jack Pinball Collector's Edition, which sells for twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in Upper Big Lebowski field, for eight thousand. Lower playfield bowling alley games. See games. that bowling alley? See, if I was involved, I think that that costs too much money, and it only does one thing. That's something that could have been removed, to be honest. It's no, cool, no, but... No, I always argue this with people. Like, it's <sighs> the coolest fucking thing just to look at. You have a yeah, fucking but how, bowling how alley. How cool is it when, you, when your game costs more than, than, you, uh, than you sold it for? <laughs> look. Like, you know, we, well, that's, you, you that's talk, the thing. It's like, talk about, but that's talk about Stern, I, Stern bombs. I talk about Stern bombs. and But hey, Stern's doing well. Ben, you know, I'm, being, I'm being honest. If they said... Let, and I'm just moving the numbers around a little bit. If they said we're only going to make 250 big Lebowski's ever, they're each, I mean, get ready for this 250 ever. And they're each like $18,000. They sell every one. These are millionaires. 18 might might be a bit high. Yeah. But here's the thing. The other part of the market people have failed to realize what rich people want is they want to feel rich. Yeah, and they want something that nobody else has, a word on a class. Right. They want to feel I like, agree, they want yeah. to feel exclusive. They want to feel like it's never gonna happen again. And I got one. What 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 game? Yeah, but that that same person, they're still if they're at Disney World and they see a bottle of water seven dollars, they're they're still gonna be like, Jesus Christ, seven dollars for a bottle of water? Well, yeah, and you but, don't you don't get rich by by overpaying for stuff, right? But but here's the thing. 
The reason I mean, a lot I, of a lot of rich people are the most frugal people you'll come across. Absolutely, yeah. Warren Buffett drives like the shittiest car. Uh, here's the thing, but the game was good, and the game was was being heralded, and I think they could have got away with it because the product was in demand. It didn't well, feel like it was. It didn't feel like they were they were ripping people off. The but way, again, like, you know, they uh, you know, as as you talked about with George Gomez, they had contract manufacturing, which means they're ultimately at, the, at their mercy, like. So with Spooky, if Charlie had to go in and stay overnight with a screwdriver and finish the game, he could. You don't have that control of the contract manufacturer. Right. Okay, so Dutch, I, I think Dutch is done. I I, I think that yeah. Big Lebowski's will always trade on the secondhand market. for. Now, also, building it in Europe is probably not the best idea. I mean, there's people who say that building a pinball in America is stupid. And it's even more expensive to do it in Europe. So Right. Uh, like you say, like, yeah, someone like American Pinball should scoop that up well i have to clarify too that ara is actually in the netherlands i incorrectly said it was in sweden um, oh yeah that's right <laughs> so i want to clarify i could just be like a, a typical american and say does, a distance from the netherlands isn't it's it it's the same country it's all scandinavia <laughs> yeah, right? you're, all, you're all a bunch of euro people they're speaking french right right <laughs> Well, Ben, what do you what do you think just broadly? Um, and then I'll let you go. Like 2019 in pinball, do you think it's going to be a great year for pinball? Do you think it's going to be an oversaturated year? Well, you know, we keep thinking that they're going to hit peak pinball, but I guess it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I think they're definitely flirting with the price ceiling, and I think we saw we saw this recently. Apple found the price ceiling not so long ago. And, you know, Stern and other companies could could find it as well. Uh, yeah. And I guess, you know, once they find the price ceiling, it's about seeing how much they can sustain it at that range. But going back to the customers, I mean, so, uh, this is another thing I'll get me kicked in the balls. You have the ultimate customer. They're rich. They have the patience of Job. And they have very low standards, as long as it looks good. Right. Uh, so it's, it doesn't seem like it's that hard to make them happy. Right. I, again, I compare that to like the video game. You play video games, right? I mean, the video game industry, its customers are just assholes. Like, well, because their customer co- base is everybody. They're not rich. Yep. Yep. They demand you know it is, like, the world. Like, you know, EA can spend $100 million making a game that they sell for 60 bucks. But if that campaign's not six hours long, Lord help them, right? Versus pinball, where you can ship an incomplete game and not finish the code for two years, and people are fine with it. As long as it looks good in their basement. I think making money in pinball is really easy if you just don't try to do too much and do what exactly what you did. Give people a sexy game built on a theme they love and just make sure it works and they will say, take my money now. Well, the real, I mean, manufacturing is, that's the main issue. And Stern has been doing, you know, they've got that down. They've been doing it for like, what, 32 years now. And that's why they're they're doing really great because they're they're the best people at maintaining supply chain and getting the games out the door and you know it's it's like it's like apple it's like hey monsters is a game and it's already on the boat you know heading to europe yeah i i think it's really hard to ever compete at volume in the industry with stern in it because it is such a niche market and so you've got this humongous company that's got production and manufacturing down i just think the i do i think the only white space left is is to be a medium boutique sized company you mean and, the blue ocean strategy well, I, well I, i'm just not sure like and i always say this like who is the rolls royce of pinball right now 
Probably JJP. Right, but why does Jack always find himself like losing money or struggling to get these games in demand? I bet. Well, I'm I'm sure Rolls Royce makes less money than Chevy or Ford. Right, but I'd also say that where Jack falls down is a few areas. I think he falls down, and he his Ellie model is ridiculously flawed, right? And he for some reason he just can't even just copy Stern. He's he's always doing it weird. So, like you think about Rolls Royce, they don't make many games, right? So you can't try. Jack's trying to sell as many games as Stern does, right? And but I see Stern as more like Toyota. And and so like if Jack wants to be the Rolls Royce, then he Oh no, be... you're making you're making car arguments. I know, I know. But th- but that's my thing with Jack is like he does his games there's so much more in them. And and I, and I look at him charging the same amount of money as Stern. And Jack also is trying to make games for location and redemption game. It's like what are you doing, man? You're you're making a high end collectible for a rich person, but he can't figure out the strategy on the, how to like market that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to come down to theme. I mean, I think part of the problem with The Hobbit is you know the movies were rushed into production; they weren't that good. I think that ultimately affects it. And one but, might but say that the, about Pirates of the Caribbean. But here's the thing, well. Ben: it's like. If I get in a boardroom with Jersey Jack and his marketing team, which I think is his daughter and and I don't know who else is over there who makes these calls, the investor. Okay, who's our target? Okay. We're going to we're going to we're going to go well above Stern in terms of like material and bomb and and innovation. All right. So I need a guy who's like willing to spend like 10 to 15,000. dollars You know the kinds of guys that were buying all the medieval madnesses and the monster bashes that were restored by high end pinball, you know, like six, seven years ago. I, you know, yep. the kind of guys John Papaduke attracted, right? John mm-hmm. Papaduke sold Magic Girl, sight unseen, for $16,000. Sold out in one day. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. okay. <laughs> so if I'm Jack, I'm like, look, I, I need a new strategy here. Like, why am I going to try and beat Stern on volume? Why don't I just make a company that's very profitable by making a few hundred very high-end boutique games where everyone who like and then i scale to that and and i don't so that's the thing is i just think like they scaled up but they haven't given the people what they want but i'll say this if they do get wonka and toy story out and the games are great then i think you'll see that factory running like it's never run before in terms of like orders and the line will keep moving for a long long time without stop. i, I actually think willy wonka is a better theme than toy story just for the demographic although i'm surprised how many 45 year old men want toy story as a, a pinball theme but whatever yeah i mean they're, they're both great they're both great i mean i love toy story i think toy story gets you more uh female uh wives are into it a little bit more than willy wonka um, yeah wonka's great but it is great wonka has you know another 20 years of pedigree associated with it uh, but right. toy, but Toy Story's never had a bad movie, you know. When I did the and Wonka, my concern with Toy Story is they're not going to get the assets they need to have like the actors from the movie. But with Wonka, they will, and I think that's going to make a difference. Yeah, lest we forget Apollo thirteen with the uh, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton, and the third astronaut had his sun visor down because <laughs> he couldn't. You know, can't can't show Tom Hanks. 
Right. Not, the pinball. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. Wait, no, it doesn't. Doesn't Tom Hanks's brother do like voices for his brother? Uh, yeah, he's like. I think he's. A, yeah, I think Tom Hanks's brother is like a Tom Hanks voice actor which is or like impersonator is that the right word i don't even know yeah yeah something like that so that'd probably be fine yes yeah, so i think he did all like the like the toy story toys because that's always like when you buy a toy story toy the voice in it is not tim allen or, or tom hanks it's similar but it should be okay as um, long as they sounded similar unlike the stern avengers game yeah no it's or what about what about like Guardians of the Galaxy, where it was all like redone? It was like oobly boobly boo. Only played that game twice, and it was always in noisy environments. So yeah, yeah. I think one time it was the Sunshine Laundry, actually. Yeah. Well, Ben, um, any final words to the listeners of Canada's Pinball Podcast? Any 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 recommendation on who they should vote for in the Twippies? Oh well, I'm I'm not going to give like you know do any political grandstanding as far as voting in the in the Twippies. I'm not even going to say go out and vote because you know you, you don't have to. Uh, final, I don't I don't know. Uh, I think it. I'd like to see some cool stuff from Pinball. I think I'm very curious to see what Deep Root will do. Actually, I don't think they'll have anything at Texas. I I would disagree with you on that. So I'm here to confirm that you are right because I actually heard from through the grapevine that that's not happening because there are um, some personal celebrations happening within that deep root world that are going to forbid them from being a TPF. So you heard it here first. I'm going to be wrong. They're not going to be there, but it's not because they don't have stuff ready. It's for some other reason that you can just guess. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, are you going to be at any shows for fans of the show who love you, Ben? Or where are you going to be next in the pinball world? I actually don't have any plans at the moment to be at any video game or pinball shows. As I mentioned, part of, part of my semi retirement was dialing way back on that because I used to do it far too much. Right now, you are are you going to be in New York soon? Yes, next month I'm going to be visiting. Okay, so why don't we do this for? I, I plan to grab a beer with Ben, and I'm sure we'll, we'll find a place to play some pinball. If you want to see Mr. Ben Heck, why don't you email me at canadapinball at gmail.com and maybe we'll get a little group together because I need all the protection I can get because apparently the New York pinball scene just wants to kick my ass after my shenanigans last year at the New York City pinball tournament. So I need I need all the backup I can get. I, that did sound kind of cagey, but yes. Yeah, it was, it was bad. It, was bad. <laughs> it, it won't happen again. I saw this year um, they're at the same venue. It'll be a good show. I won't be there disrupting the tournament so if you're planning to go don't worry canada's not gonna start flinging drinks left and right hopefully not (laughs) (laughs) all right ben well thank you again always appreciate your time always appreciate your passion your enthusiasm and your candor in in the in the pinball world i think the listeners appreciate it as well all right well i better get back on pin side and start like whining about things all right well thank you ben yeah no problem (laughs) 